and I'm back. Episode number two with Trevor Curitson, the chemistry extraordinaire and meds do it student. He's a jack of all trades and he is here to make a lot of you guys really, really upset. Maybe uh, because we're talking about peptides and people are asking me about peptides all the time. And I think a lot of them are bullcrap, but he's the expert. So he's going to break it down. Trevor, welcome to the show. And what do you want to talk about first? First thing I have to say is this is not medical advice, um, especially when it comes to HRT and things like that. You'd want to consult with your physician and everyone's different, right? So HRT is, is not, uh, it's not, it's not like a dogmatic approach. It's something that you want a very individualistic approach. So this is something you should definitely talk to your family physician with. This podcast is just information. So maybe if there's some stuff that I talk about that possibly interests you, talk to your doctor about it, do your own research, that type of stuff. Peptides. Let's just start with the elephant in the room and that most people are not going to their HRT doctor to get peptides. They're ordering them online. Yes. Peptides denature very, very easily. Mm -hmm. Denaturation of a molecule is when the protein coagulates. The greatest example would be egg whites, liquid to solid. Mm -hmm. When you denature a molecule, its properties change. The biggest problem with peptides is that if they're not shipped cold, if they get hot, they denature and they become useless. So when you're ordering these peptides on these, you know, buypeptides.com website or whatever, they're getting shipped from China. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a U.S. domestic, they're importing them from China. These people in China are not shipping the stuff on ice packs because it'd be brutally expensive. And they'd also Mm -hmm. have to put on the customs label what it is. They're smuggling it in. So by the time you get the peptide, even if it was real when they sent it, which chances are probably fake to begin with, by the time you get it, it's useless. Mm -hmm. So... If you're ordering peptides from one of these websites, save your money. That's the first thing I'm going to tell you. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to the GH releasing peptides, we mm-hmm. have GHRP, we have Semirelin, we have Impamorlin. They work. There's no denying that they work. You can go on PubMed and you can do some searches. When you look at the animal studies and you do the calculations to human equivalent dosage and you calculate the increase in GH that the rats would receive and you, you translate that into the amount a human would receive, it's negligible, yes. to be completely honest. And an HRT clinic, if you are sufficient in HGH, would prescribe you serostim or, or human growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Comparing the two is like comparing a Ferrari to a skateboard. Yes. Right? Like, honestly, these GHRP releasing peptides, they're doing such a small increase in GH, you're not even going to notice anything. Now, a lot of the HRT clinics don't want to prescribe uh, GH for whatever reason, some of them do. And I think it's very easy for them to prescribe this Jamrelin. And I think that there's probably a very good margin. Actually, the reason, the reason for that is that the peptides are not as heavily regulated as the growth hormone and the testosterone. Okay. So testosterone and growth hormone are class three banned substances. Mm-hmm. So every time a doctor writes one of those prescriptions, it gets audited. Yes. So it basically puts a lot of pressure on the doctor. So if a doctor is writing, let's say, 10 growth hormone prescriptions in a day, he might get flagged Mm -hmm. and they might look into it and they might remove his medical license. Gotcha. Peptides are not a class three. So he can hand prescriptions like that out like candy and they're not going to audit him for it. So that's the real reason. But if you're somebody that's, let's say you're somebody that's using um, a very common dose, I think with most men that are on HRT are going to use somewhere between one and two units of, of growth hormone a day. So... If your doctor can't prescribe you growth hormone and they're going to prescribe you Samarellin, how much would you really need to take to get that kind of effect? It wouldn't. You wouldn't. So then it's just basically what I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot is if it's, you have access to growth hormone, then then yes, it's going to be great. If you don't have access to it, then don't waste your money on Samarellin. It's basically a cash grab. Yeah. It will increase growth hormone, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you have disposable income that you want to spend and you're not concerned with finances, I mean, it will increase growth hormone slightly. So if you take it for a long, long duration, you might notice a small benefit from it, but you're not going to get much. So then all the other GH uh, releasing peptides, again? They're all, it's it's kind of like when you go to a grocery store and there's all the different types of hot sauce. Yep. I mean, they all have slightly different recipes, but they're all basically the same thing. Now, many people that are saying that they think that they're getting good results, they're always doing lots of other steroids too. So it's, it's, 
I always tell them it's impossible for you to really know that you're getting good results when you're doing all these other things. Well, it's it's like the the pro bodybuilder who makes an Instagram post and is like, hey, use my code on peptidesxyz.com and say 15% and then he gets a commission, right? Yep. Okay, he's probably using their peptides. I wouldn't be surprised because mm -hmm. they're shipping them to him for free, but he's also taking how many different anabolics, mm -hmm. how many other stuff. The peptides aren't doing anything. No. All the other we had no peptides when I was competing, guys. There was none. And uh, all of the great bodybuilders that you guys have been looking up to for years, even the current crop of guys, you know, Juan, Big Rami, all these guys, there was no peptides when these guys were getting into it. And I don't know what's in their medicine cabinet, but I, I can almost guarantee that they're not having peptides in there. The only thing that actually is effective and it sucks because now they are a controlled substance, but the SARM MK677 was very, very effective at releasing GH. Yes. And G, MK677 was not growth hormone, it was a growth hormone secretagogue. Mm -hmm. So what that did is it stimulated the pituitary gland to increase growth hormone production. Yes. So again, it would not be the same as using exogenous growth hormone, it would not be as effective, but that one actually was very, very effective. I would, uh, don't, don't search like Nutriball or, mm -hmm. or whatever, cause those are the, the terms that these websites are making. If you search MK677 on PubMed, which is the actual chemical structure, you'll find some really interesting articles and it is effective. Well, there are, uh, some companies that are reputable that do sell MK677, but is it as effective orally as the peptides that are injected? So yes, MK677 isn't actually a SARM, even yep. though it's sold as a SARM. Mm -hmm. So it is orally bioavailable. Anything is more bioavailable when you inject it. Mm -hmm. That goes for vitamin C, that goes for peptides, that goes for like, like anything, right? But yes, MK677 is orally bioavailable. So if you're somebody that has no problem ha uh, getting prescribed uh, serostim, would you still want to dabble into the MK677 for other benefits? appetite but besides that no okay now so somebody like me i don't want to increase my appetite because i fast all day so it'd be no point i would say okay good to know and i think that's very good for the listeners to, to it would it would too. it would be and and i mean like pj like you you own blackstone labs yep. so you have access to testosterone boosters it'd yep. kind of be like taking a test booster when you're an hrt exactly i just want to make sure that the, the users uh, the listeners understand this because and, and there there are some good over-the-counter test boosters that would benefit you in your yeah. HRT, but that'd be more for like libido, that'd be more for like suppressing a, a sex hormone binding globulin, things like that. Not for boosting testosterone. No. Um, I just want to make sure, because we are getting a lot of peptide questions. This is like one of the, SARMs, SARMs are very hot still, but SARMs, what I try to explain to people, SARMs are very much like black market steroids. There are companies that are selling SARMs that God only knows what they are. And many of the times they're not what they're supposed to be. So they're getting a bad rap. When you have a reputable actual lab making SARMs the right way, there are some phenomenal things out there, which is why we did the SARM podcast. Now the, the, there's a couple that I get asked about the most. Um, number one would be uh, BP157. BP157 and TB500 are the only two peptides that I would say is actually worth your time. It's the, the only ones I'd say is worth purchasing. Um, I won't get into dosages because then that would be considered medical advice. Yep. Um, and again, this is just information. TP500 is better for systemic. So that would be if you're just beaten up. Like let's say you're an ex-pro hockey player or something mm -hmm. and your knees are shot, your shoulders are shot, your lower back hurts. TB500 would be what you want. So that sounds like something that perhaps I should look into then. Because your whole body is so beaten up, yep. yes, but also BPC157 is very good for localized injuries. Mm -hmm. So if you had a shoulder injury or things like that, doing intramuscular injections into the actual area would help a lot with healing. But what kind of injuries are we talking about? I mean, are we talking about full muscle tears, full like cartilage injuries? So a full muscle tear, you need surgery because that muscle is completely torn yeah. off. A muscle, uh, sorry, um, if the muscle is torn but not ripped, you can repair that because mm -hmm. the muscle can repair itself. But if it's completely ripped off, like if it's ripped in two, you need surgery. So it really depends. And again, this is why it's so important to go to your doctor because you have to see the, the complexity of the tear. There's certain tears that it could help and there's other tears you need surgery. It's kind of like if you got two strings and they're completely, they're completely ripped apart, you need to sew them back together. Well, but what about arthritis? 
Arthritis is actually more of an autoimmune disease. Okay. Peptides aren't going to help you as much as regulating inflammation would be. And that would be turmeric. That would be fasting. Yep. That'd be high doses, fish oils, mm -hmm. vitamin C, things like that. Um, arthritis is really an autoimmune disease. Your body's attacking its own joints. Okay. Um, but yeah, BP, BPC 157 and TB 500 would be the only ones that, you know, I would say is, is worth buying. But done via injection. Done via injection. They're not orally bioavailable. Any peptide mm. has to be injected. Peptide hormone, another peptide hormone is insulin. Mm. If you could take an oral insulin, just think about how many diabetics there are. Absolutely. Right? Like, if there was technology to make peptides orally bioavailable, a massive, Pfizer would have already made it for insulin and then we'd be making billions and billions of dollars on it. Yeah. There is no way to absorb peptides other than an injection. Mm -hmm. And some of the most common peptide hormones that your listeners would be familiar with is insulin, yep. it's a peptide hormone, growth hormone mm -hmm. is an insulin, is a peptide hormone. IGF-1 is a peptide hormone. IGF-1 on the black market is all crap. It's all crap. Please guys don't, don't. And there are, there are compound pharmacies that are actually selling at HRT clinics and it's not a ton of money. You know, some of them are selling them for like 300 bucks, but it's 300 bucks that you're just throwing down the tubes. It doesn't work because the way IGF-1 is synthesized in the body is that it's actually the growth hormone molecule that binds to the tissue, mm -hmm. which causes the release of IGF-1. So if you're taking the IGF-1 without the growth hormone, it doesn't work. Yes. I'm trying to think of like a good analogy, but you can't have one without the other. I, of course. Now, before we switch gears into the stuff that does work, that's exciting. What would you say to somebody that, so I get this question uh, quite frequently, somebody that's using growth hormone that they know is real. Uh, they're getting it from a doctor, but when they get their uh, IGF-1 levels done, their IGF-1 level, levels aren't really high. They're not low, but the doctors say to them, your IGF-1 levels should be higher using the growth hormone that you're using. Your body's not converting for some reason. What would you say to somebody that's experiencing that? They're probably not doing the blood test correctly. Okay. Peptide hormones have very short half-lives, mm -hmm. so you really have to time the growth hormone accurately before the blood draw. So what they're probably doing is they're probably taking like the growth hormone before bed yep. and then taking it and then taking the blood draw in the morning. That is what I assume when most people come to that too, because realistically, if you're going to, because the half-life is so quick, you would have to almost do the growth hormone like right before you take the test. And that's, that's the fault of the doctor. The doctor really should have given them instructions like, Hey, I want you to take the growth hormone two hours before the blood draw. So mm -hmm. if your blood, blood work appointments at 2 PM, take it at noon. Right. So th that was the fault of the doctor because chances are what happened is that person probably took it before bed. They probably got the blood work done with cholesterol and things like that. And so they fasted and they maybe did like 10 a.m. So it's probably been 12 hours since that growth hormone injection. Yeah, that's huge. And I want people to understand that. So we just talked about peptides. Essentially, for the most part, guys, you should save your money and don't take any of the oral ones that there are some really cool things out now, though, that you do want to talk about. So let's get into that. Well, this is, this is the newer generation of type 2 diabetes medications, and we're really starting to learn that for overall health, it's all about modulating insulin and inflammation. And the best way to do that is fasting. Yes. And the only problem with fasting is that when you're modulating insulin, you're lowering insulin, which is good, by not consuming calories, which is good, but you're also not promoting muscle synthesis. So... One thing I recommend is that if you're fasting and your goal is bodybuilding, if your goal is just health and longevity, forget everything I'm talking about, just do your typical fast, maybe consume some minerals, electrolytes, things like that. Um, you know, you can consume black coffee and things like that. Those are all fine while you're fasting. You'd want to be doing a real fast or not consuming anything caloric. If you're a bodybuilder who's trying to improve gut health, trying to reduce inflammation, you'd want to consume essential amino acids during your fast because then you'd still be spiking mTOR and improving muscle protein synthesis. Now, the biggest question I get asked is that, yeah, but wouldn't that be increasing insulin? Don't BCAs increase insulin? And they do, but they also increase glucagon at the same time. And the insulin to glucagon ratio would be pretty much one to one. Yes. Insulin is only fat storing if insulin is high and glucagon is zero, is, is low. So basically insulin takes, uh, takes stuff. Insulin is kind of like the mailman, takes packages and delivers them. Glucagon is the opposite. It takes glucose out of the blood cells so that you can use it. So because BCAs stimulate insulin, 
but no sugar is actually present in those essential amino acids. Your body has to release glucagon at the same time to maintain blood glucose levels. So if you consume only protein, yes, protein increases insulin, but it also increases glucagon. So it's kind of like a wash. And that is why I tell people, and, and so if you listen to some of the doctors that speak on fasting and they say that you can't do anything like that. So the way that I fast, you, I always let my people know, yes, you can have BCAAs. So I'll tell people that no, are no, fasting. No, 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 not BCAAs, essential amino acids. Essential amino acids. Uh, they'll say, is it okay if I drink this um, during my cardio or, you know, during the day and I say that will not ruin your fast now. Uh, like you will not be getting the full autophagy and reduction in inflammation benefits that you would otherwise. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like a buy, this is kind of like a compromise, right? This is kind of like you want to do one thing, your girlfriend wants to do another thing, so you compromise in the middle. Well, I'm giving them the bodybuilding version. Of yes, it. yes, 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 yes. So, so for people that want to train fasted or do their fasted cardio that say, is it okay to have BCAs when I'm training faster or doing fasted cardio? I, I believe, yes, it is okay to do it. Yes, yes. The, the main thing you want to be doing is preventing the consumption of things that require digestion. Yes. Because you really want to be giving your digestive system a break, which is going to reduce inflammation. So essential amino acids would be fine. Mm -hmm. If you're a really big guy who needs the calories, you can even do things like MCT oil. Yep. That'd be really beneficial. You could even do things like ghee. Ghee is great. Ghee is, ghee is super high in short chain uh, fatty acids, uh, caprylic acid, which is really, really good for immune health. Ghee, for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's butter, but all the milk solids are removed. So you kind of get the benefits of the dairy fat, but without any of the things that would cause the negatives uh, in digestion and inflammation and things like that. So ghee is great. MCT oil is great. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't want to be consuming anything that would require digestion. Yeah, so my specific style of fasting for my, my condition is much different because I was really focused on wanting nothing to grow any worse inside my body. So I actually have only, I don't even drink coffee, um, I actually only have alkaline water during the day. And then once I start eating at night, my rules are completely different and I change. So one, one thing that'd be really cool for you, and this is a, a new anti-obesity drug, is that GLP-1 agonist. Mm -hmm. So agonist means to activate, antagonist means to deactivate. So a GLP-1 agonist activates the GLP-1 receptor. And GLP-1 is an incretin hormone. So incretin hormones are hormones that are released when you eat, your stomach releases them. And we actually just recently learned about these hormones not too long ago. I think it was in the last you know, 10, 15 years we've actually discovered incretin hormones. And the way we discovered it is that we would give someone intravenous glucose, mm -hmm. and then we'd give someone oral glucose same amounts, but with the oral glucose, the insulin release was higher, which means that there's more than just your pancreas responding to the blood glucose. Interesting. There's also your stomach and your intestines responding to the nutrients. So incretin hormones respond whenever you're fed. It responds to all nutrients, not just carbohydrates. And what it does is it basically tells your body that we're fed. It's basically like a signaling device to your body saying, hey, we're fed increased metabolism, increased protein turnover, We're, we got nutrients coming in. So if you take a GLP-1 agonist when you're fasting, it's kind of tricking your body into thinking you're fed. Because the biggest problem with fasting is that your body is used to fasting mm -hmm. and it slows the metabolism. Yes. The body is very, very adaptive. So if you fast every day, which I don't actually recommend because it does decrease metabolism, your body gets used to that six hour eating window mm -hmm. and it adjusts your metabolism accordingly. And that's why people get into such big plateaus with fasting is that they start fasting, it goes really, really good. Yep. Then they start fasting longer, and it goes really, really good. And then they're at this you know, six hour eating window and they hit a plateau and there's no way to get really around it because there's not much more you can really do. Now, how often should they change their days? What I would recommend is I would recommend fasting every other day. Okay. Um, wow, that would, really, that would really be hard for me. Fasting gets addictive because yep. when you're fasting, there's nothing in your digestive system. Mm -hmm. You feel so light. Yep. Also, your body's in the sympathetic. It's releasing adrenaline and all these feel-good hormones. I love fasting, too. I love it. I would do it every single day, but I force myself to eat breakfast on certain days just so I don't get those metabolism decreases. And you also want to keep your body adaptive, right? Like, you, you don't want to be doing the same thing. Like, 
Fasting is so effective because it's the anomaly and then your body responds to it. If you start doing fasting every single day, then it becomes your norm and your body's not gonna respond to it anymore. Yes. Right, it's kind of like you go to the gym and you squat 200 pounds, the next day you're gonna be sore. But if you keep doing that over and over and over for the same amount of repetitions, for the same amount of sets, you're gonna get progress and the progress is gonna stop because of the same thing over and over and over. Now, if you fast and then you don't fast and you fast and you don't fast, it would almost be like switching exercises, mm -hmm. right? So your body's gonna go through a different stimulation process and you're still gonna reap the benefits. So for you, I know you love fasting. Mm -hmm. What I would maybe do at least on the weekends yes. is eating a ketogenic breakfast. Mm -hmm. You will still keep insulin levels low, not as low as fasting obviously, but if you were eating something like eggs cooked in uh, coconut oil or something like that, that would be really, really good. And you still will get that really good feeling. It's actually the insulin and the blood sugar that kind of gives you that foggy feeling because when blood sugars go up, they also go down. Yes. And that's the problem with carbohydrates and that's the problem why carbs are so addictive is that you eat carbs, blood sugar goes up, you feel great. Once that blood sugar starts to dip, you start to get tired and then you want that second sugar spike. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem most North Americans get into is that breakfast is something high sugar. Yep. They eat, you know, like a muffin or a croissant or a bagel or something like that. Then around 10 a.m. their blood sugar is crashing, so then they want something to, you know, pick it back up. So they probably will have like a coffee that's full of sugar and things like that. Then it comes to lunch. So then lunch, you know, they'll probably eat something that's full of refined carbohydrates, like a burger and french fries or something like that. 2 p.m. it starts crashing again. That's when they, you know, look for the Snickers bar or whatever like that. Then they eat dinner. Then after dinner starts crashing in, that's when they want the dessert and the, the thing. They're basically spiking insulin over and over and over and over yep. because they want that constant blood sugar level. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them because if you're not super educated on human physiology, you want to feel good. No one wants to get that 2 p.m. crash where no. you feel like you're going to sleep. And that's why modulating insulin and not releasing insulin all the time so that your muscle insulin sensitivity stays high is so important because insulin isn't actually bad. No. It's your body not being able to respond to the insulin that's a problem. So what I do, and then I want to know how I would specifically use what we just talked about. So my typical week, I do not start eating until 6 or 7 at night. And I usually eat until 11-ish. So it's only a 4 or 5 hour window, sometimes 6. And on the weekend, usually Sunday... Uh, I call it Sunday fun day. Sunday I eat early and I eat all throughout the day, which what bodybuilders would consider like a refeed day. Mm -hmm. um, and that day, of course, from all the extra insulin release, I feel more tired, but I use a lot of extra glycolog that day. And what I even sometimes do is if I feel that I'm getting um, a little skinnier, um, which I don't mind, but I've actually just noticed that I felt feel very good is on some of those days, uh, towards the end, I will take some very fast acting insulin like Novolog with a very high carb meal. And I find that my body sucks it up so well that I actually usually wind up looking really, really good after that. And I only do that about once every couple weeks. Um, so, but so ins like, like insulin isn't bad. The problem is that the average person is spiking their insulin so many times throughout the day. Yes. It's like that boy who cries wolf syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Is like you're telling the pancreas to release insulin, you're telling the pancreas to use insulin, you're telling your muscles to respond to this insulin, and then eventually it just stops responding because it's the same thing over and over and over and over, right? It's kind of like if I call you nonstop, eventually you're just gonna not take my phone calls. So you're yeah. like, this guy's annoying. Like I'm, I'm done with this guy. But if I don't call, if I'm not calling you nonstop, and then I call you and be like, oh, Trevor's calling. This is important. But if I'm calling you every hour and it's about nothing important, you're just be like, I'm not taking this guy's calls anymore. Yeah. Well, I sent you a picture of that stuff that's very popular in Brazil now, the, the Sexena stuff, which is what we were just talking about. That would be the GLP-1 agonist. Yeah, so if I were to start using that, now that you know that I don't eat all day, eat at night, when would I actually take that? When I wake up in the morning? Yeah, you'd want to be taking it while you're fasting. Um, it wouldn't have to necessarily be like first thing in the morning or whatever, but you'd want to be taking it um, during your fasting period. Yep. You definitely want to be working with your medical practitioner on dosages and things like that. And because these drugs are so new, you might actually have a hard time getting a prescription for it. Europe is generally a little bit further ahead than we are in terms of uh, regulations and things like that. Mm -hmm. So 
doctors are able to prescribe it, but a lot of doctors don't know about it yet, so they might not prescribe it for you. They might just be like, oh, I don't really know what that is, or, or that type of thing, or, or you might even bring it up, they maybe they have never even heard of it yet. So they are available for prescription. They are FDA approved. Here? In North America, okay. yeah. But again, most doctors don't know what it is. Or, what are, they, what are the, um, the trade names here? There's so many. Okay. I, I would just Google GLP-1 agonists okay. because there's a, there's a couple of different uh, pharmaceutical companies that make them and they all have different brand names. So I'd have to ramble off like 20 of them. And what besides GLP-1 agonists are exciting right now? So the second anti-obesity drug that's really interesting is an SLG-2 inhibitor. Okay. So what an SLG-2 inhibitor does is it prevents your kidney from reabsorbing all the glucose after a meal. So normally what happens is you eat, the nutrients go into your digestive system, the glucose goes to your kidneys and the kidneys reabsorb it before your urine goes out, right? What this drug does is it prevents your kidney from reabsorbing all the glucose. So if you consume 100 grams of carbs, your kidney's only gonna absorb about 30. Wow. So what's really cool about this drug and why this drug has so many potential benefits is that it doesn't really cause side effects because you're not messing up any of your endocrine system, right? Like you're not messing up your digestive system. All you're doing is you're preventing your kidneys from reabsorbing all the glucose. However, isn't it also teaching Americans to not fix their diet? <laughs> so that's, that's where the dietitian in me is ripping their hair out mm -hmm. is that this is again putting a bandit on the problem yes you're not teaching them proper lifestyle you're not teaching them proper nutrition you're just saying your diet's crap well here's a drug that'll prevent you from absorbing all of the the, the excess sugar you shouldn't be eating so it, it will prevent them be, from becoming type 2 diabetic yes well i mean that is i guess great they're still going to be overweight right so i mean if you're already 300 pounds and you now add this drug and I suppose you'll lose some weight, right? But you're still gonna be eating the same way. You, would, you wouldn't be absorbing all of your nutrients. So mm -hmm. it'd be essentially the equivalent of fixing your diet. Okay. Um, it, it'd be the equivalent of basically, instead of drinking three Cokes per day, drinking one per day. So yeah, you will, you will see huge benefits. So it's, 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 you know, it's almost like exercise and cardio in a pill without doing any exercise and cardio and getting a lot of the benefits of it. No, it's it's basically dieting in a pill. So so your body's not absorbing all the nutrients. So if, if you consumed three Cokes, mm -hmm. your body thinks you, you, you're only absorbing one of them. So you're not getting any of the metabolism boosts of exercise. Or Does it that. change your uh, hunger or anything like that? No, it doesn't. Okay. All it, like literally, the way this drug works is a very, very simple drug is that it prevents the amount of glucose your kidney can absorb. Mm -hmm. So your kidney basically maxes out around 30 grams. I'm saying 30 grams is like a blanket number. It'd be different for a man versus a woman, depending on size and things like that. But it maxes out about 30 grams. So if you consume a big meal, only 30 grams of glucose are gonna be absorbed because that's the max amount this drug will allow your kidneys to reabsorb. Wow. All the extra glucose is gonna go to, is gonna go to your urine. You're gonna urinate it out. Now, one problem is that women will get yeast infections from this drug. Men don't really have that problem. It's very uncommon for a man to get a yeast infection. But for women, using this drug every single day will most likely cause yeast infections. But if you were to use this drug maybe like once a week on like, like a fun day or a cheat day or whatever, it would be very, very effective. Not that I'm necessarily supporting the use of this drug because it's not teaching people proper diet yep. and lifestyle. And again, like everything in moderation is fine. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the hardest thing to teach people is moderation because moderation isn't hardcore. The reason why the keto diet and all this stuff is hardcore is you're demonizing a macronutrient and it mm -hmm. sounds hardcore, right? It's like yeah. carbs are the enemy, don't eat carbs, we're gonna get super shredded. That's cool, but if you tell someone, you know what, carbs, carbs aren't bad. You know, you just, if you're sedentary, you don't need a whole amount of carbs because you're not active. You know, keep your carbs around 100 grams per day. That doesn't sound near as cool. No. Right? But, so, you know, there are many different approaches that will work given what the individual is doing. Yeah, so in my mind, an SGLT2 inhibitor is very similar to bariatric surgery. It's kind of like forcing that. Yes, person that's what it sounds like. And food is very psychological, right? Like there's certain people who have addictions to food. Yep. And for them, these types of medications would be beneficial, maybe while they're working with a psychologist to try to figure out the underlying issues. Um, it's, it's another tool in your toolbox, really. And I, I don't want to judge people on their diet choices or lifestyle choices or things like that. But the best case would be improving their diet. 
but some people just don't want to for whatever reason. So to me, this sounds like this could be so revolutionary that we could start seeing a lot of obese people losing weight from taking this medication. It sounds to me like something that could be making billions of dollars. That's the only problem with it is that right now it's such a new medication, it's on patent, so it's very, very okay. expensive. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, and this just kind of talks about the socioeconomic issues of obesity is that lower income individuals generally are obese and yep. lower income individuals wouldn't be able to afford this drug. How expensive are we talking? Do you know? I wouldn't know American prices. But are we saying like a thousand dollars a month, something that expensive or more maybe? maybe? Probably like wow. two, two to very, three. Very, very expensive. Um, yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about the pharmaceutical industry is that if you own the patent, you regulate the prices. Absolutely. Right? And it's like, you want to go elsewhere? Oh, wait, you can't. Are there numerous companies that have these products? Like the, the, the big guys, Pfizer, Merck, all of them? They, they all have it, yeah. I'm going to look into it. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious myself. So, um, but Like I said, both of these drugs are very, very new. Mm -hmm. So most health practitioners probably wouldn't have heard of them, or if they had, they wouldn't be very familiar with them. So they probably wouldn't write you a prescription just because they wouldn't be educated on the, the, the dosage, the directions, and things like that. Um, you would really have to go to like a diabetes specialist or an obesity specialist or something like that for someone to be educated on how these drugs work. Super interesting. So from the first show, uh, we took away a lot of information and pretty much everybody that I knew dabbled in SARMs. We started a whole revolution of S23 enthusiasts. We also, I think, single-handedly helped boost collagen sales in the United States after our, our first, after our first, and you actually saw in my warehouse that I have a plethora uh, vital proteins, collagen. Now, we probably hurt some peptide sales, but we saved some people some money. We got into some really cool stuff now. To sign out stuff that you actually don't need a prescription for or you don't have to order on some weird website, I make a lot of things. You work with a lot of different things. What else is out there now that's exciting you um, in the more, we'll call it natural realm of the world. What sucks is the the three things that really excite me, neither of us sell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is stupid. Um, if anyone wants to, you know, be a private equity investor so that we can start making these products, you know, <laughs> send me a DM on Instagram. Probiotics. Love. Probiotics are very, very important. Love. And this isn't just necessarily a supplement. This would be fermented foods, yeah. things like that. But we're starting to learn just how health, how important probiotics are. Mm -hmm. And there's been some really, really interesting studies where they would make a rat obese. Basically they would have, they would have rats and they would hypercalorically induce a group. So they would basically make them type two diabetic and obese by forcing them to eat more. And they would have the other group. And if they would inject the bacteria, the, the, the bacteria in the colon of the healthy rat into the obese rat, the obese rat would lose weight. Wow. And then vice versa, if they would inject the bacteria of the obese rat into the healthy rat, the healthy rat would start gaining weight. Amazing. And it's really interesting that we're starting to learn that there's huge differences in the microbiota flora of healthy individuals versus obese individuals. Mm -hmm. And then it comes to like the chicken or the egg is that does someone have poor bacteria in their intestines and that's why they're obese? Or did their lifestyle and diet choices that made them obese cause these negative changes in digestive flora bacteria, right? Personally, I think it's the latter. Personally, I think you're eating a lot of processed foods and things like that, all things that destroy the healthy gut microbiome. But we're still learning, like we really don't know. Yeah. Like we're still scratching the surface on probiotics. So that would be the first one is probiotics especially if you're fasting, mm -hmm. when you're fast, the, the problem with probiotics is that if you take them with food, they're not gonna get absorbed as well as they would on an empty stomach. Yeah, I take them first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. That would be ideal. Yeah. So even if you're not fasting, you'd mm -hmm. wanna take them first thing in the morning when you wake up. Um, probiotics are, are, are so important. And fermented foods, mm -hmm. things like kimchi, fermented yep. pickles. I'm not a big fan of most dairy. Like I don't think yogurt and things like that's great. No. What about sauerkraut? Sauerkraut's great. Mm -hmm. Goat milk yogurt, goat milk dairy is actually great because it's a different form of casein protein that your body can actually digest. Okay. And unpasteurized cheeses are really good. I love unpasteurized cheese. I'm, I'm going to Italy next week. So. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah. Lots I'm a big of, cheese guy. Lots of cheese and wine. 
Um, if you're getting good quality cheese generally imported from Europe where it says raw milk on yep. the ingredients label, mm -hmm. that's great because in the raw milk is all the enzymes your body needs to actually digest the casein protein. And raw milk is uh, illegal in a lot of countries, isn't it? Raw milk is illegal in the United States. Yes, United States. Now, this is kind of going down a rabbit hole, but my reason, my reasoning on why it's illegal is that when you pasteurize milk, all that does is increase the shelf life. Mm -hmm. So because dairy is such a big industry, they wanted to make raw milk illegal so that all of it had to be pasteurized yes. so that we could do the commercial farming method, right? You make it in batch, mm -hmm. you ship it in batch and things like that. So the cheeses that generally get imported from Europe, it's all raw milk. They don't pasteurize milk in Europe, right? Like they would just look at you like you have three arms, right? They'd be like, why are you doing that? Like mm -hmm. that's, that's horrible. Like that's going to wreck the flavor. It's going to wreck the nutrition. So raw milk cheeses are, are very good. Goat's milk, goat's milk cheeses. What's actually really interesting is that goat's milk, the fat in it is very high in MCTs. Yes. Actually higher than coconut. So people think, you know, coconut's the best source of MCTs. No, no, no. It's actually goat's milk. I, I, that I did not know. So goat's, goat's milk is really good. Um, and before infant formula came out, we used to give infants who couldn't breastfeed for whatever reason, goat's milk. Really? Yeah. Well, what, what never really made sense to me is that humans have stomachs. Mm -hmm. Cows have rumens. Yes, man. I know where you're going with this, and we've, we've discussed it, it, this it, before. It, it, why we chose cows it's so, as so the animal to yeah. drink their milk. Oh, it's, it's so interesting. It, it makes no sense, right? It, it, we, it's almost like we're a PC and they're, they're a Mac. It's mm -hmm. a different operating system. Yeah. But the casein protein coagulates in your stomach. It's a very, very hard protein to digest. But because cows have rumens, so they basically have like 12 stomachs that yeah. just ferments things mm -hmm. for days and days and days. They can digest it. But because food is in our stomach for such a limited amount of time, we can't really digest the casein protein. So it goes into your body undigested mm -hmm. and it causes an inflammation response because your body's kind of like, what is this thing? It's not digested. Like, what do we do with it? Yep. So that's why milk, yogurt, things like that generally will cause a lot of inflammation. No, and I love ice cream, but I will tell you, ice cream fucks me up, man. And and it fucks a lot of people up and, and some less than others. But the crazy thing is, is that I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. You go to Europe, yep. you eat ice cream there, no issues because it's not pasteurized. It's such incredible. So, and the last one is is what? The last two would be a greens. Yep. Greens are so important. Mm -hmm. And collagen. Collagen is huge, which, I mean, as I said after the first podcast, everyone started taking collagen supplements. P I'm dying to put out a collagen supplement. P PJ and I are eventually going to make a collagen product for athletes. I've already got some ideas in my head on and it. And save your money, ladies, on these these these. <laughs> These hair products that are $70 that don't even have a gram of collagen in them and have a bunch of other fillers, they're not going to do anything special for you. They're all marketing schemes. They're pyramid schemes. Please save your money on those. So I've been in the manufacturing supplement space for close to 10 years now. And the number one ingredient that is just skyrocketed in sales is collagen. So everyone wants collagen. And what these companies are doing is they're seeing collagen sexy. So they're making these crappy products that have great marketing, beautiful labels. They got some gorgeous chick on, you know, in, endorsing it. We'll have a gram of collagen, which isn't going to do enough for you. Well, you came out with a very cool collagen product. We came out with a bone broth protein. Yes. So bone broth is a full spectrum collagen. Mm -hmm. The product I would love to develop would be uh, bovine collagen, mm -hmm. a marine collagen, and then chicken and bone broth, a chicken and bovine bone broth. So you have all the different forms of collagen in there. And then maybe some probiotics, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, just to make this like a super gut health promoting collagen. This sounds to me that it started out as a inexpensive product and turned into an expensive product. The bone broth proteins are expensive. Yeah. Um, collagen. Bovine collagen is essentially just crushed up bones and there's tons of cows. So yep. that's what makes that so inexpensive. Marine collagen is the same thing, but just from fish. Yep. Bovine collagen would be better for uh, joints, things like that. Marine collagen would be better for skin and hair. Um, best would be, be both. Well, women are women are gonna gonna love to know that. Yeah. So people are saying collagen is collagen, true, but they have slightly different amino acid profiles. So if you're taking collagen for joint health, things like that, you'd be better off with the bovine. If you're taking it for skin, 
hair, nails, things like that, you'd be better off with the Marine. The best would actually be to get both mm -hmm. and do five grams of each. Soundbite, please. This is this has got to be on Instagram because that's going to make so many women extremely happy. Guys are taking tons of collagen anyway. And and I would say for a woman, 10 grams would be an effective dosage. Yep. Mm -hmm. And for a man, 20 grams. 20 grams. But you can yeah. split it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, and, and it doesn't really taste like anything. So the nice thing about collagen is you can add it in a coffee, you can add it no. in a shake, you, you wouldn't even know it's there. But collagen is a protein. So just remember people, when you're looking at a collagen supplement, a gram of collagen isn't gonna do anything for you. It'd yeah. be like taking a teaspoon of protein powder. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna do anything. So at the very minimal, you'd wanna be taking five grams. For a woman, I would say 10 grams. For a man, I would say 20 grams. And more isn't gonna hurt you. Like if you want a mega dose of stuff, it's definitely not gonna hurt you. And guys, the calories are so low. You can't be afraid of having 10 grams of collagen. 10 grams of collagen has 35 calories. So yeah, it, the calories are pretty much negligible. But the last last thing I'll say, I know we're, we're close to our recording time, is that I like your fasting protocol. Mm -hmm. So first thing in the morning, doing the probiotics. I would also add in the greens there, okay. just to promote uh, autophagy, promote detoxification, promote gut health. Before you eat, so after you've been fasting, your digestive system is it's it's sensitive, mm -hmm. right? Like you haven't been eating anything. Yes. What I would do is I would do a collagen shake. Okay do that 30 to 16 minutes before you start eating. What that's going to do is going to help rebuild the digestive lining. And it's also going to help a lot just with general health. So 10 grams of collagen, just down that 30 to 16 minutes before you start eating and then go into your eating window. Simple enough. Simple enough. You get the most benefits out of it. And then for listeners on this podcast, who are trying to promote fat oxidation the most amount as possible. What you'd want to do is that when you start eating, you'd want your first meal to be just protein because then you're still gonna get the benefits of the fast even though you started eating. It's like what I was saying before with your insulin and glucagon. Mm -hmm. So if you break your fast with just protein, like protein and vegetables, you're still gonna almost be fasting. And then if you wait until like just before bed to have some carbs and fats and things like that, it would almost be like doing like close to a 24 hour fast. Very interesting. Fasting is fantastic for fat loss. Like yeah. it's, it's the most effective thing. The only thing with it is that you don't want to be doing it every day because your body will get used to it. And mm. It's going to downregulate your metabolism. I did. So after over a year, one of the things I noticed was that my TSH was lower than it used to be, um, which does make sense. TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone. And so obviously my body had slowed down a little bit and that kind of makes sense because I've sort of stayed around the same weight for a while. However, I still feel consider the fasting itself has made me feel better than I have ever felt. Even when I was very, very sick, I did not get out of my fast. The only time I went out of my fast was when I had COVID. I, I literally was so frail and weak. I had to just eat just to have strength. Um, but going back to my fast, feel great. Mental clarity, uh, energy. It just, I love it. What people often forget is that digestion is such a metabolically taxing system of the body, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like you have Thanksgiving dinner, you eat that massive dinner and all you want to do is fall asleep. That's why is digestion takes a lot of work. So when you're not eating anything and you're fasting, you feel great. You feel light, you feel energetic. I haven't ate breakfast today and I feel amazing. I feel yeah. like I could, I feel like I could throw on my running shoes and go run for 20 hours. Mm -hmm. So yes, fasting is amazing and you start to feel great, but it, and that's why it becomes sort of addictive, but you don't want to necessarily be doing it every day. Mm -hmm. So for you, what I would do is if you're doing Sunday already, mm -hmm. maybe add in Wednesday okay. at the very minimal. We can do that. And it doesn't have to be crazy. Like, like you don't have to be, you know, going to Denny's and, and doing the grand slam or of anything, course. <laughs> you know, maybe like for you four whole eggs. And again, you know, prioritize like organic pasteurized eggs with a tablespoon of coconut oil. That would be enough just to get some nutrients in your body so that your body doesn't think that, Hey, the only time we're getting nutrients is 6 PM. Mm-hmm. Or you could even, or even if you want to do something like really simple, you could have like a vegan protein shake with some MCT oil and, you know, maybe mix that up with some coffee as a kind of like a bulletproof protein coffee yep. or whatever. I wouldn't necessarily want to do whey protein during a fast because whey protein will cause some inflammation, Yes, which is great for post-workout. And that's why whey protein is so good before workouts is that you actually want inflammation during your workout. Mm -hmm. But in order to modulate inflammation during your fast, I would do a vegan protein, not a whey protein. Okay. That's another product that you know, it'd be great for Blackstone as a vegan person. Yeah, we had talked about that for a while. I think that you guys are going to see a lot of different stuff happen once the trial is done. 
Um, and I'm excited to get to that point and start putting out some of these products. The collagen one is, is very important to me. Um, there are companies that are getting a nice chunk of my, my money, Vital Proteins, love you guys. Now Nutrition gets a, a, a ton from the, the digestive enzymes that I love. Um, but um, all of the things that I really like, I've, I was able to in the past few years, turmeric, the liposomal C, D, fish oils, put them out through Blackstones. I'm very happy about that. And I'm very, very happy that you came and discussed all this stuff on the show. We did two awesome podcasts. Um, for those of you who missed the video on the first one, if it didn't go out the right way, we had some camera issues. Um, but the audio is up. It's great. It will be on SoundCloud, iTunes, maybe some other places. Please listen to it. Very, very good information. Trevor, you are the man. I just want to give you a shout out for doing a health series with Blackstone because Bodybuilders generally neglect their health until it's too late. Yes, they do. And not only is it good just so you don't die, but it's also good for your training. If you feel good, you're going to have good workouts. Absolutely. So these things like vitamin C, fish oil, turmeric, a lot of bodybuilders are looking at it and be like, it's a waste of money. I would argue no. Mm -hmm. um, you don't necessarily have to go buy the most expensive one or things like that. And you don't even need to be mega dosing these things, but like a gram of liposomal vitamin C, a couple grams of fish oil, it's gonna make a big difference big in your difference. overall health and how you feel. See, I, the one thing that I do go a little hard on is the, but I also started getting into this with the, and I don't wanna ramble and, and keep this going longer, but so I got into some higher dose, not as much now because I have the liposomal delivery, but I got into some higher dose turmeric and I was using a company called doTERRA makes a bi-chamber uh, capsule that has the extract and the actual just turmeric powder in it. And one of the things that I found was there's not that many things that really help me with my inflammation and pain. Um, massive amounts of CB does a little bit. Kratom is, f is fantastic, but the turmeric actually did, but I was taking a few grams of it a day. So I'm gonna, I know we wanna wrap this up. Turmeric and curcumin, which is actually the active component mm -hmm. in turmeric, which causes the anti-inflammation properties, is fat soluble. So if you're not using a liposomal form, you'd want to be taking it with a form of fat. Yep. Um, easiest thing would be, you know, take a teaspoon of coconut oil with it or something like that. All these anti-inflammation things we're talking about, vitamin C, turmeric, fish oil, amazing, 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 amazing. You just not would not want to be taking them during, like, you wouldn't want to be taking them in your peri-workout nutrition window, right? Before your workout, immediately after your workout. Because inflammation is actually what stimulates muscle growth. Yes. Inflammation is what releases the prostaglandins, which cause the whole hypertrophy response. So all of the stuff PJ's talking about, I think fish oil is amazing. I think turmeric is amazing. I think vitamin C is amazing. You just wouldn't want to be taking that with your pre-workout meal or your post-workout meal. Mm -hmm. The best thing would be taking it first thing in the morning and before bed. So you're reducing inflammation before you go to bed. You're reducing inflammation as you start your day. Um, and again, like, like let's say your breakfast is at 8 a.m. and you work out at 11 a.m., that's fine. What I'm saying is you just wouldn't want to be taking, you know, vitamin C like immediately before your workout because it would blunt some of the hypertrophy response. All right, that's fantastic information from Trevor. I think you guys should all um, be very thankful for everything that we learned on this. Some really cool new stuff coming out. And uh, next time I bring you on, able to be some even more fancier stuff coming out to talk about. Um, I'm very excited in, in, in these new anti-IBC drugs. So there's a lot I care very much about. Next, being next semester, I'm doing an entire course on inflammation. Okay. And this is a graduate level course. So it's going to go very, very deep. I'm excited about that course. So maybe uh, in January, once I finish that course, I can come on and, and talk about some of the things I've learned. Because inflammation is fascinating. And there are doctors, PhD doctors of, um, not medical doctors, but there are PhD doctors uh, that are um, exercise science doctors who are very anti-inflammation. Well, inflammation... You've probably seen some of them say, yes. if, if somebody tells that you have inflammation, they're full of shit. And these are people that are respected in our community. Without inflammation, you'd be dead. Inflammation is how the body heals itself. Mm -hmm. So small localized bursts of inflammation are great. That's what causes the pump when you work out, right? Like saying inflammation would be bad would, every bodybuilder would, would, would go. It's insane. not that they're saying it's, it's that it's bad. They're saying that if you have um, a doctor or a naturopath telling you that you are suffering from certain ailments and issues and conditions because of inflammation in your body, that's bullshit is what they're saying. You can quantify that with CRP and IL-6 and blood work. Okay. The, the, 
I, I think I think what they're getting at is they're trying to say like all of these like you know infomercials you see yep. on TV and stuff and buy these pills to manually like that's all crap mm-hmm. I agree with them and you know inflammation now just like collagen just like all these other things has become a selling feature yeah right so unfortunately you have these seventy dollar products that have amazing websites amazing ads and great amazing marketing which is not actually doing anything for you but yeah you can you can test inflammation through blood work. CRP and IL-6 would be systemic, so that'd be the amount of inflammation in your body. And then you can also do specific blood biomarkers, which would be inflammation in your muscles, inflammation in your heart, inflammation in your digestive system, and things like that. All right, well, we went way over on this one, so I'm gonna wrap it up. Thank you very much. This was a very, very good podcast. Really appreciate appreciate you greatly, Trevor. And um, guys, let me know what you want next. Yeah, anytime, always happy to come on. Thank you. That one flew by because it was really good. I knew that one was going to be really good. Yeah, I we could have. I was like, around like one bar, left the battery. We could have so we went this. two hours. I don't, is this the one he used for podcast before? Did I, did I cover everything you want me to? Yeah. Okay, cool. Very is this good. the camera he used for podcast? Because it's stopping automatically. Yeah. Um... I'm super excited about that inflammatory course, man. That's going to be super interesting. So I'll have to look and see into some of the people that, so I think one of them is uh, Dr. Leighton Norton, actually. Um, who's, he does a Dude, lot of- Lane, Lane Norton's full of shit. He does a lot of stuff to get- uh, Instagram views. To get views. Um, but I saw something on Twitter the other day that next time, uh, next time somebody t- tells you that you're suffering from inflammation, um, you know, tell them that they're full of shit. And I wanted to read into that because I'm strongly opposed to that as well. Um, I just think that he, I used to like Lane a lot, but he, he went this route of trying to be. He became really arrogant. Very arrogant, yeah. I used to like, like five he years. Used to, me and Lane used to hang out. Dude, I've got, I've got a bunch of photos of me and Lane. Like Lane used to be like a good friend of mine. But then he just became really, really arrogant. Yep. And it was right when he cheated on his wife. Yeah, his wife. He was like six months pregnant. Yep. I was just like, man, this is the best person I know. So it's funny, because um, Lane, you know, he, he doesn't know anything about anabolics at all. Um, so I was finishing a workout, and uh, I went into the bathroom, making came out of the workout, and I was drinking um, 100 grams of uh, carbolin. And he goes, what is that? And I was like, carbolin. And he goes, how much? And I was like, 100 grams. And he goes, you know that you don't need to do that uh, post-workout to recover and grow your muscles the right way. 